Secondly, George, who I suppose is the hero of this series, is a bit of an anti-hero. He's always up to these up to no good things, right? Like, I don't want my children reading about eating paste, right? Like, that's not helpful to, to us. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Stu, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. How are you doing over there? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. All right. So we last recorded and posted coronavirus, and it's what, February 10th, 2020 as we record this? Correct. Hopefully by the time this episode actually airs, the whole coronavirus problem will settle itself out and be just a memory. But in case it hasn't, uh, this topic is just as timely and sensational. (laughs) We're talking about kids and reading. I mean, when I asked you what topic should we talk about after coronavirus and you came up with books, part of me was like, oh, come on, books. Like we need something more like exciting to get the audience going. We need another worldwide like medical emergency. Yeah. Illiteracy. (laughs) Kills more people than influenza. (laughs) Well, Actually, it, th- we're, we're, we're just joking around, but illiteracy is a major problem worldwide. But it's a problem that here in Canada, we don't think about it too often. Yeah, probably there are not many of our listeners who are truly in their hearts worried that their kid will grow up to be an adult who completely cannot read. Uh, on the flip side, though, uh, there are uh, things to say about the advantages of getting your kid into reading sooner rather than later. Well... I actually, after you proposed a topic, I went and looked at this and there is like a shocking amount of people that are illiterate in Canada, right? Like we kind of take it for granted probably because, you know, we've both, we've both gone to university and we're medical doctors and we're, we're, we live in the city. So we probably don't see a ton of this, right? But there are a lot of people that don't know how to read well, right? There was some statistic that said two in every five Canadians cannot read well enough to do everyday things, Right. Like basic activities of regular life, like going to the bank and managing their finances. Two in five. Two in five. That That's 40 percent. I mean, it includes young children, I suppose, and really elderly people oh. in that category and lots of new okay. immigrants also. Right. So if you factor yeah. all these groups together, I mean, that's kind of crazy because you kind of take it for granted. You think everyone can read. Like when I first Googled it, I was like, you know, literacy in Canada. Initially, Google spits out this really nice answer and says that 99% of Canadians can read, which is great. Like I felt like, you know, we're living in the greatest country in the world. <laughs> then I dug a little bit deeper into Google and I was like, the real data is a little bit more difficult to parse through. It's not so cut and dry. Well, I mean, if you sort of think about living in a country where 40% of people aren't reading to the level they should be at, then if you can get your kid to be able to read well, that pretty much makes them a, like a, a superhuman. <laughs> that puts them a cut above everybody else, which is an obvious advantage in life. Apparently, another stat I found, there was like a, a, a stat posted by like a police website 
had to do with like policing in Canada. Uh-huh. And it talked about how only 45 out of every 100 adults in Canada can do everyday arithmetic and understand numbers in printed materials, which is just crazy to me. This, this reminds me of when I was a kid. And a lot of the sitcoms and stuff that I would watch would always touch on different societal issues. So like for people who remember the show Different Strokes uh, with like uh, Arnold and Willis, <laughs> the two black kids living with the rich white um, uh, like uh, guy who adopted them. Mr. Drummond. Yeah, that's right. Mr. Drummond. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, uh, yeah, shows like that. Uh, would often have an episode where you find out that they introduce some character who it turns out they they can't read. Right. Sort of highlighting how uh, people could get by without being able to read and you wouldn't necessarily notice it. Uh, like how the popular kid at school uh, would always get people to try to help him and do his homework and now he's in high school and his dark secret is he can't read. Right. And we, we probably are so far removed from that period of our lives, like going through school and stuff as for ourselves at least yeah. that we've forgotten. Now that I think about it, there are a lot of people in my high school who were just getting by <laughs> at that point in time. You know, Krusty the Clown on The Simpsons, his first major episode reveals that he can't read. So, I mean, and then I, some of the stuff I read about, and it makes sense, is that if you're not able to read well, of course it affects your ability to find employment, but it's got much further than that. It affects your, you're much more likely to end up in prison your everything in your life is affected by whether you can read or not and it's something that is not innate to people so they do have to learn it at some point yeah that's true you don't just sort of absorb the ability to read the way you absorb the ability to to talk if you're just if you just hear people talk right you know the canadian pediatric society puts out position statements on various topics and they they describe how illiteracy is really a pediatrics problem or a problem that's rooted in like the in people's childhood right they made the kind of bold statement most children who have not mastered reading by the end of grade three will never catch up frightening but also intuitive (laughs) (laughs) like most other skills right if you don't learn it when you're a kid it's a lot harder to to learn it when you're older right so get your kid to ride a bicycle and get your kid to learn to read. Well, that is actually one of the things. Like I had, I had two big things. Like when my children were born and as a dad, uh-huh. the two things I really wanted to make sure that I imparted on them, on top of everything else in the world, two very practical things. Is One, I wanted to make sure they could ride a bicycle. Okay. And that's because, A, my wife cannot ride a bicycle. So I do know of people who can't ride bikes. Really? That's and- a big <laughs> secret revealed. <laughs> Secrets revealed on medical tests. And so for me, because I've, I've, I, don't, I don't know if you remember, but I always rode a bike to class and stuff when we were in med school. Like yeah. For me, riding a bicycle is one of the great joys in my life. So I wanted to make sure my kids could at least ride a two-wheeler and that when they were older, we could ride together. That was one. <laughs> Was the other one podcasting? <laughs> no, the other one was reading. The other one, I wanted them to be into books because growing up, like I was one of those, I was a books guy. Like I always had a book on me. Like my mom would be like, okay, let's, we're going shopping. And be like, oh, here we go again. So I'd have to make sure I have a book on me, right? Or we're going to the restaurant. Okay, I got to make sure I have a book on me. Yeah. When I got older, like we'd go on a holiday. I'd be the one lugging this backpack of books, like library books, right? I'd be lugging library books to to the United States of America or lugging a stack of books. And I remember one year I went to visit my uncle for the summer and my bag weighed like it weighed like bricks. And then I got to his house and he opens the bag and like, what is this? What are are you bringing here? And I had like my 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 music history book, the enjoyment of music. The thing weighed a ton. (laughs) But 
I was one of those guys that always had his nose in a book. And I wanted my kids at least to appreciate reading. Because growing up later in life, I, it was one of these things that I would sort of look at people and be like, if you don't read, I can't, I can't talk to you. There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> right? You'd go out on a date. And, and if you found out the person didn't read at all, I'd be like, oh, Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize you were so picky. <laughs> I always found that dating the girls who couldn't read often had advantages. <laughs> More time to do other things, I suppose. <laughs> but I, I really, reading is such a like if you if your kids can read uh, well when they're young, it gives them a lot of advantages over the other kids. Like at school, the the teachers perceive the kid as being so much smarter when they can read. Mm-hmm. Um, right, and they, you're. I found that when the teachers realized that I could read, I started to get away with like other bad behavior at school because they're like, well, but he can read. So he's he can't be that far off into the weeds. I mean, there's only a few different parameters that teachers really use to evaluate how you're doing. Right. Reading is a big one. Math is another one. Social skills in general is another one. But it's a big one. Like if you can get ahead in it, it's important. And not only is it important in, in how you do in school, it just sets you up for like learning things on your own, like becoming more independent, figuring out like it's just it's just such an important part of life, not to mention the amount of entertainment and stuff you can get from books. I'm always saying to to my kids and any other kid who will listen that uh, if you can learn the the skill of reading, then you can figure out how to do almost anything else, (laughs) because anything else you want to know how to do, there's like a book on how to do it. Uh, so all you have to do is learn how to read books, and then now you have the key to figure out everything else. Well, the problem is that only applies to our generation. Today's generation is like, well, we also have YouTube. Everything <laughs> I need to learn, I can learn from YouTube is the new thing. <laughs> that is true. That is true. But you got to be able to read the title of the next video. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just like waiting for something random to show you what you're looking for. So at at the risk of this podcast running way over time, we're 10 minutes in. We haven't really done any sort of thing. Well, hopefully we've laid the groundwork for people, though, that getting your kid to read is a huge advantage. Yeah, if you came into this episode wanting to challenge us into saying that reading is not good for children, this is the wrong podcast for you. That that reading is a lost art. That's another podcast. That's somebody else's podcast. So one story that I have is that when my daughter, she's the older one, when she was really little, because of this idea that I was like, I got to get my kids into books. So very early on, we had a pile of storybooks. And it was very useful because when she was really little, they can't move, right? So you just pick up your baby and you hold a book in front of them and you read them the book, right? And you can pretty much do this. They're they're unable to, they're unable to argue with you about what you're going to spend the time on. And so we just kept reading her lots of books. Like we started with picture books, board books, and so she got really into books. So one of one of the books, I think she was around a year and a bit, like not that old was I, I bought her a copy of The Hockey Sweater, which to me is the defining Canadian children's book. Every child needs to hear this story at some point. <laughs> and for those who don't know this story, basically it's a story about a French-Canadian boy who gets a hockey sweater for Christmas. Uh, he gets a hockey sweater for Christmas because his old hockey sweater had a hole in it. But instead of getting the sweater for his favorite team, the Montreal Canadiens, they gave him a sweater for the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's it's a rather long story. It's not. It's actually originally written as a short story for adults, but it got remade into a children's book with like these cute pictures years ago when we were children. And so I made sure to read it to her. 
And there's a scene near the end of the book where because the boy is wearing the wrong jersey and he's he's growing up in Quebec, so he's wearing this Toronto sweater. He gets ostracized by the other kids and he does he doesn't get to play. So at some point he gets really upset and they're in the middle of a game and he takes his stick and like smashes it on the ice and says, like, this is persecution. Yeah. And it was that page that my daughter got really curious, right? Because she's like, what happened to that boy? Is he being a bad boy? Right. She was saying this to us in Chinese, like bad boy, bad boy. He broke his stick. Right. And then she would keep redirecting me to read that page again. Right. And then this became a thing like that story to us. That story works on so many levels. Right. As an adult. Right. It has the whole like Montreal versus Toronto thing for me as like a hockey historian. Like there's a whole hockey angle to it. And just the idea that you'd see like a little children's book with hockey sweaters in it is cool. There's also that religious piece, right? Uh, yes, there's a religious angle at the end too. But then t- for her, it was just the fact that this boy was misbehaving and broke his stick, right? And got in trouble. So then at that age, like we were always on her to like, you know, make sure you eat your food, drink your milk. Uh-huh. So she'd finished. So her thing became, she wanted me to read her this story with every bottle of milk. Like I'd have to read the hockey story from beginning to end for her to drink a bottle of milk. <laughs> Right. And there's was like three or four bottles of milk a day. And initially I was like, oh, yeah, hockey sweater. My kid's the ultimate Canadian kid. After like reading the story the 18th time in like one week, it's like, OK, can we read something else? But really, we read that book a ton, a ton, a ton. And just as an aside for for people who have listened to our uh, like feeding children episodes in the past four bottles a day of milk is probably too much <laughs> oh yeah that i don't know if we've talked about it but she's really into milk even now yeah. like last night she was like we came back from my mom's birthday and it's almost bedtime and we're like you know you could just drink some water just go have a bit of water before but i don't need more milk no i want milk we have to have milk <laughs> better check her iron levels <laughs> but I, I just love the idea that like the only part of the book that she really gravitates toward is when the kid misbehaves. <laughs> well, it set it set up the nice like for for dress up day at school. We had her go in a hockey sweater because <laughs> she has a Montreal Canadiens jersey now. So when she gets upset, does she mimic what she saw in the book? Does she smash her bottle on the floor? <laughs> Do you have to send her to the church to pray to for, for forgiveness? No, not exactly. But but anyways, that, that just book, I think it just goes to show that if you start kids reading early, you never know what they're going to get into. So, yeah. so yeah, like, like to me, like, so yeah, like that to me, that book just shows like you can get your kids into reading at an early age and then they take it from there because from there on, like she's been really into reading which is makes it really easy to like promote reading in our household. Like it's always an activity she's willing to do. Like it's great. So one of my big things for parents is to try to get your kids into books early on, but keeping in mind that not every child will love it right away. Yeah. I think that's very important to, to put out. Maybe we should have even touched on that earlier in the podcast. Not, not every kid picks up reading as easily uh, as other kids mm-hmm. so some people might be listening to this podcast and already tuning out feeling like well that's great for you guys a couple of doctors you probably had no trouble learning to read and your kids probably all like started reading before they were a year of age but actually uh, of my four kids some of them have had much more it's been much more of an effort to get some to read than others and even I as a kid I didn't just pick up letters in the alphabet all that easily my mom had to put a lot of extra effort into me compared to my siblings well that that was the part two of the story because 
So my daughter picked up reading really easily. Like I was feeling really confident as like medical dad in chief. Like we got this under control. Our kids are going to, our kids are on their way. Then my son comes along, right? And part of the problem, I don't know, from my vantage point at that time was that we were so busy with my daughter because my son was born. My daughter was like two and a bit, right? Two and a half, which is not an easy age to manage. So we spent most of our time hovering over her still. So my son would just sit there like the first six to eight months of his life. He was basically ignored, right? While just observing the goings-ons in the house. So we very rarely would read to him. So we missed that window where you could try to read to a child where they can't move. (laughs) And pretty soon he got to about a year and a bit and we're like, okay, get the books out already. So we would, we would hold up the book and, and he, and he would he could probably walk at that point he'd look at the book shut it and walk off so no matter what we tried to read to him his attention span consisted of about three seconds length so you couldn't get past one page of any reading material right which then promotes the opposite thing because now you have the kids who read really fast and the teachers and the parents think okay this kid is going to be fine then you have the kid who cannot read at all and you're immediately or who hates books so now you have all this like the opposite anxiety like this kid's going to be useless they're not going to university they're going to have adhd like we're going to have to go see a doctor like that's that's what we're going through with my second one just another statistic just part of that two and five <laughs> can't read oh so yeah that that actually is the reality is that kids you know that i've learned firsthand is that children learn to read at vastly different rates and in vastly different ways but the uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is that uh, for most kids you know outside of kids with a reading disorder or learning disability most kids they can get there in the mm-hmm. end uh, and it can be a frustrating process it can take a lot of patience on the parents' part, uh, but don't don't ever write your kid off. Mm-hmm. You know, don't don't ever fall the trap of thinking like, oh, you know, I had one kid; they were a natural reader, so this is my academic. And start thinking that you know the other kid, no, they they just don't pick it up the same way. They're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you keep working on them, I I believe that you can turn almost any kid into a reader. Right. So to that effect, I thought it would be useful as medical dads to provide people with some basic tips. Most people probably have heard these tips before, but we could just run through them. Things you could do to promote reading in your household with your children. Well, so one step that I think is very important, read with your child every night from as early as you can. Make that part of the bedtime routine. And sure, you're going to miss nights. There's going to be days where you're doing this or that. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a general principle, if you sort of think of reading every night as part of the routine, sort of like brushing the teeth, then uh, that's an important first step, I say. I mean, I don't even think you have to do it every night, but just do it often enough that it kind of sticks in your kid's mind. Like, my parents were pretty busy when I was growing up, but I I do remember that my dad read to me two books as a child. (laughs) Well, they were longer books. (laughs) One was Robinson Crusoe. Like, this would take him probably, like, three months to read because you'd read a few pages a day. Right. Yeah. And I think I was in grade two when he did that. And then yeah. another one was like there's a Chinese historical text called The Romance of the Three Kingdoms. So he read that to me, which okay. I don't remember at all, except that this was actually done at some point. And then there's another Chinese historical text called Journey to the West. These are like the canon of Chinese literature. So he read those to me and that was it. The, like these three or four masterworks. And he's reading these in Chinese, too. <laughs> there, he was reading them to me in Chinese at the time. <laughs> But if, but if you can make that effort, it is something that your child will remember their whole life, probably. And when yeah. they have children, they will pass that on to their kids. That's right. If, if their sort of first experience with books is this sort of 
you know, pleasurable experience where they're with their parents. They're, you know, so you, they're already happy because you're having a bit of that bonding time. And, right. you know, they're just listening to the story. They're not, there's not that stress of them having to decode the words. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. a, that's definitely a good setup. Right. Like you said, you don't have to actually read every single night. You don't have to make it to every single night. But if you if you if that's what you shoot for, uh, then I think that's going to give you a big advantage. So the more you do it, the better. Right. So a lot of the stuff is just about exposing your kid to books. So reading to them at night or reading them to them regularly. Another one I had on my list is keep books around in your house. There's some crazy statistic that says that if you have books in your house, like a bookshelf, the chances of your children being illiterate go down by like 80% or something. I read this somewhere. Is that a cause and effect study or is that a a correlation (laughs) study? Quick, go and buy some books, (laughs) quick. Just sprinkle them around. That'll that'll prevent illiteracy. (laughs) That that might have something to do with the fact that illiterate parents probably don't keep a lot of books around the house. (laughs) Well, there you go. Um, Find books that your children would be naturally interested in. So sometimes as parents, we have this idea that we should figure out what they're going to be interested in, force them to be interested in the same things we're into. And you'll discover that your children have their own interests when it comes to what they want to read. And sometimes that's the way in. Like a kid's not interested in books like my son. We found out that he was really interested if the books had babies in them. Uh So next thing you know, I'm at the library looking for books about babies. (laughs) Nice. He's he's reading what to expect when you're expecting. (laughs) Yes. And then he and then books about what was the other thing that he was oh like cars, like vehicles. So then I was yeah. like digging through every fire truck and like construction vehicle book you could find. And some of these are pretty abysmal, I have to say. But, but I think that's a very important point to stress uh, that you really do have to find the right book for your kid. Mm-hmm. So many parents are under the impression that uh, my kid, my, this my son hates books. You know, my right. son's he's not really into books. It's like, you know, if the only thing your son got to see on TV was the news, uh, <laughs> then yeah, your son hates TV. Right? <laughs> but you find the right show and uh, they're interested. They're hooked. I don't know if that's fully true because I've seen my kids sit mesmerized by some pretty pathetic drivel on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. But uh, I guess if somebody's child naturally gravitates to watching the sort of three-hour evangelical programs that come on on Sunday morning. Uh, if their kid really sits through all that, then I will then I will withdraw my <laughs> argument. That's true. That's true. A couple other tricks that I employed to try to get my kids into reading is I got them into going to the library like at an early age because that was that was the one other thing. My my dad would take us to the library every week when we were growing up. Like that was their outing, right? And as a parent, I didn't, or as a parent, I fully appreciate that because it's not only is it an outing, it's a free outing (laughs) because it's already paid for. You don't have to buy anything at the library. Yeah. (laughs) So we did that regularly. And then, so that became my habit, like even going through school and medical school and residency, I would go to a library on a regular basis because to me, buying books, like going to like, you know, the big bookstore and laying down like $50 for three books and then you're done reading them in, in like a week, like generally that's a waste of money, right? Like these books actually can be had for free if you're just a little bit patient. So I wanted to instill my children with not only the love of learning, but the love of being cheap (laughs) and saving money. (laughs) That's right. Library books are just as good as books from the bookstore if you don't mind them being crunkled up, sometimes a little bit smelly and knowing that for sure some other kid read that book on the toilet. But aside from that, it's the same thing. It's a brand new book. (laughs) 
Well, as we talked about in our various episodes about like transmitting viruses, as long as you wash your hands before you eat, you're okay after touching a library book. It's funny. Like I also love going to the library. And when I was a kid, we did not go weekly. That wasn't something where every week went to the library. But Mm -hmm. we would occasionally, like my mom uh, often didn't have a car. And so this was sometimes like a trip with four kids on like taking the bus and public transit with a fair mm-hmm. bit of walking involved. But my mom would, would would do the effort just because she also believed that, you know, it was important to get us interested in reading. And and I love those trips when I was a kid. I kind of thought that as an adult, it would be great if my family did regular trips to the library. And I, I actually do find a bit that my kids take it for granted. <laughs> so I'll be saying to them, hey guys, it's, it's Saturday. I got an idea for the afternoon. Let's go to the library. And I'm expecting them to be all excited. And sometimes they're like, well, uh, can we go to the library where you get to keep the books? Because then we want to go. And what they're talking about is going to Indigo or Chapters, like do, do bookstore chains in Canada. Like they, they're like, yeah, we want to go, but only if it's the library where we keep the books. Right. But uh, that said, uh, I still really would advocate for taking your kids to the library regularly. And there's more than just books at the library. So to motivate them to go, there's also like you can get DVDs from the library. You can get video games from the library. And most importantly, you can get audiobooks from the library. <laughs> and audiobooks are another suggestion for how to get your kids into reading. Oh, that's an interesting thought. I've actually never tried an audiobook with my children. Where they really come in handy is when you go on trips. You know, if you got one of these fancy uh, minivans with a TV built in, then naturally uh, you're going to be inclined to have your kids watch TV or videos everywhere you go. But almost every vehicle has a CD player. And most libraries usually have like books on ta- like books on CD. Right. So yeah, you pop in a a, a book on CD and and let that play, and uh, yeah, they can get really drawn into those stories to the point where when you have to stop the van, they're like, oh, can't we just like drive a little longer so I can hear the rest of this? They they start to want to hear the same stories over and over again, and then later when they see the book that matches that story in the library, then they get kind of excited that like, well, this is the thing we've been listening to. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try that. We have not tried that. My, I have a, I have an, I have an in, aversion to audiobooks personally. I, I tried because I was, there was a year where I was driving a lot. Like I was living a little bit farther from work yeah. and I would, I would stick like an audio novel into the, into the car. And yeah. then I found that I was getting honked at constantly. <laughs> Like my attention for driving decreased, like seriously decreased, got into a couple near accidents. And I was like, okay, turn off the audiobooks. Because my thing is I'd be listening to fiction. So okay. I'd be like, if I don't pay super close attention, you can miss like an important passage. So yeah. I, there'd be frequently rewinding, rewinding, and eh, eh, eh. like it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're medical dad Dave's driving down the highway with his seat reclined, feet up on the dashboard, <laughs> eyes closed, while he paints a, a mental picture in his mind of the land of Narnia. <laughs> Why are people honking at me? <laughs> uh, I mean, my other, my other topic, my other tip for parents is actually to spend time on your own reading. Read, read yourself. I think that's an important one because if your children see that you read yeah. as part of your regular life like habit, yeah then they're always trying to figure out, you know, what life is about and their role model is us, right? So if we make reading part of our life habit, 
then it's easier for them to buy into it, right? Yeah. But if we're going to be telling them, oh, you got to read, you got to do your homework, and then they look at us and we're just like on our phones all day long, pecking away on social media. Well, what kind of example are we setting at that point? So for me, that's a that's a thing. Like I, I do try to make time for myself to read. And that's also just good as a thing for as a parent to have time to relax and unwind and read and learn. Yeah, 100%. I'm on the same page. Uh, I have this memory of my, uh, as a kid, of walking by my dad's bedroom at night and seeing him back propped up on a pillow in bed reading. Mm -hmm. And it really just sort of yeah, put that idea in my mind as a kid that, yeah, when you're a grown up, that's what you do. You read books that don't have pictures. <laughs> and so that's, it really felt like that's, that's what I'm supposed to sort of grow into. Right. Um, whereas yeah, if, you, if you never, if kids don't see you read, uh, then yeah, reading is just like it's like practicing piano. It's one of those things people make kids do, but no one really does it when they get older. <laughs> so, to that effect, I thought one thing we would talk about is talk a little bit about specific books that we are into or that our children are into, yeah. and give people who are next time you're at the library or at the bookstore some ideas of what would be things they could find for their kids to read that that are medically dad approved. Absolutely. And I, because my kids are a bit of an age spread, right. I can probably tell you this a bit broken down by different stages of reading. Absolutely. So why don't, why don't you start us off with something that your kids are really into that you'd recommend for parents out there and give us the age group? Okay. Uh, well, I'll start with the sort of books that we sort of cut their teeth on. Kids love books uh, that have sort of interactive uh, sliders and, and pop-up things in them. Mm -hmm. uh, and a, one that I really liked when my kids were young that all of them got good use out of uh, was a book called Tales. Uh, it's by an author called Matthew Van Fleet. Uh, it's like a thick board book. So as opposed to some of these books with pull tabs that are kind of fragile and break apart easily, this one was quite sturdy. It almost feels like you're playing with a, with a real toy or a machine. <laughs> so on each page is an animal with a tail. And some mm -hmm. of them you pull the tab and the tail wags. Some of them you pull the book out and the tail extends. Anyway, my kids, even before they were really old enough to talk, they really love those books. I think I've seen that book at the library. Yeah, not bad. And then sort of around that same age group and transitioning a bit to when they can start to try to read a little bit or, or pseudo read a bit, like repeating the story back to you. Uh, books by Sandra Boynton. Oh, yes. The Boynton books. They're these, they have these funny looking animals. They're like half dinosaur, half monsters. That's right. They, they, they always rhyme. Um, so there's one called Pajama Time. And it's just a little, like, sort of a poem, uh, like a rhyming story, just telling right. kids about, you know, the moon is up, it's getting late, so let's get ready to celebrate, it's pajama time. My kids always like that one in particular. <laughs> I don't know. We may, we may have to disagree on that particular series of books. This was not one of my more popular ones in our household yes oh yeah what was your experience with uh with sandra boynton well my experience of it was that my wife and i thought that this book had very little value it was kind of amusing for us as adults but yeah. my children didn't understand the humor of it at all so yeah. it didn't make any sense well uh i definitely could see that not every single sandra boynton book is a masterpiece uh and because she, she's written so many too uh, there's a, I think that one, Pajama Time, is one of the ones that really sticks in my mind as being one that we read a lot with the children. Um, but uh, yeah, I can, ag I can agree that that's not an instant classic. But anyway, uh, some books work more for some kids than for others. Have you seen this book before? 
I'm holding this up. It's called Goodnight Gorilla. No. What's Goodnight Gorilla? Goodnight Gorilla is an outstanding book that my daughter was really into when she was in this age category that you're talking about. Yeah. It's a it's it's a very simple story about like a gorilla that breaks out of a zoo and then sneaks into like the uh sneaks into the home of the security guard <laughs> or something <laughs> and it's just really funny and there's very few words uh, it's one of those books that's mostly pictures but you can sit there with like a one-year-old and go through it over and over again it's quite amusing i highly recommend this one all right nice how about books that were the sort of first books that your kids could sort of read by themselves hmm. I, I got a couple of suggestions in that category there was one called the hug machine oh yeah we've read that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, I think, the first book that my son could completely read by himself. Right. It's just about a little boy that goes around hugging things. <laughs> so yeah, Hug Machine by Scott Campbell, especially if you get the sort of the full-size version of it, not the sort of pocket book. Right. Fancy Nancy books. Have you ever heard of that one, that series? No, no. Isn't that, for, it, that's like an early reader book, I think. I've seen it at the library. Yeah, that probably is a bit of a kindergarten, grade one type of thing. Yes. It'll be different kids at different rates, but... Just in terms of concept, the book is really nice because it's about a girl whose big thing is that she wants to be fancy. And some, some, you're, as a parent, you'll know if your kid is the type of kid who likes that or not. Because some, some parents are like, no, my kid, uh, she, all she wants to do is, you know, get dirty, wear pants, play rough. Uh, some girls are like that. But some girls are really into like dresses, necklaces. Uh, all that kind of stuff. And Fancy Nancy is right up the alley for that. So there's a bunch of other books in this like children's, like if we were talking about like the kindergarten or pre-kindergarten age group that I found quite useful. One is Max and Ruby. I'm sure most of us have heard of this series because it got made into a cartoon also. That's right. I mean, for me, that particular series, because it, it basically Max and Ruby are two siblings. There's like an older sister and a younger brother. Yeah. And anyone that has like an older daughter with a younger son watches the interaction of these rabbits and realizes the, the author of this must have had an older daughter and a younger son because that interaction that these two characters have is priceless because it'll be like this older sister bossing the brother around yeah. and being very particular and articulate. And then the, then the, the son is just kind of bumbling along, does his own thing, ignores half the instructions that the sister gives and really steals the show, right? Like That's that right. is... To me, like I just love that series, and my kids like it. They're amused by it. I don't think they understand that subtext of it so much, <laughs> but it's written in a way that's very good for that age group, right? Like there'll be a story about like Max trying to eat. They're trying to get him to eat an egg for breakfast, yes. and he puts it like on the ground or something, and that's totally what happens in our household at that age. The only difference with Max and Ruby in real life is that Ruby's patience with Max is insanely huge. <laughs> True, they don't start fighting that quickly. No, the Max Ruby books that you read, are those books the ones that are adapted episodes of the television series? Or are you talking about the original Max and Ruby books that inspired the television series? Actually, I didn't know that there was a difference because I've only seen ones that inspired the TV show. I mean, I've only seen episodes of the show that matched it. I didn't know what came first. Yeah, so so there's the television show Max and Ruby, which has all those features that you're talking about. Um, And the episodes of the television show have been made into books where when you look at the pictures they're essentially screenshots from the television show oh okay uh but the actual television show was based on a much much older book series uh, called max hmm. and ruby uh and when you when you look at it you'll know the difference because the the ones that are adaptions of the television show that the characters look the same 
Whereas oh. when you watch the original ones, it's done in a very different drawing style, and the buttonies right. look really fuzzy. It's, it's it's quite different. It reads quite right, differently. Right, right. I think I've seen that before, like some of these original ones. Yeah, my kids loved the show when they were small, and so right. then that led me to track down the original books. Uh, but the original books are a bit different than the way the show is. But interesting. One, one interesting tidbit, when you watch the show, especially the early seasons, they never feature the bunny's parents. Right. Right. In some of the newer seasons that have come out in the last couple of years, now the they they actually had, the parents showed up, but my kids <laughs> always commented on like, "Where are Max and Ruby's mom and dad? You never see them." <laughs> well, that's the way it is in the original books too, like the original right. ones that inspired it. And the author had actually said that her goal at the time was to show kids able to sort of solve their own problems and work through things on their own. And right. so she intentionally made that book so that you can tell the parents existed. Like you'd come in and you'd see the breakfast table and the parents' cups are still at the table. Uh, there'd be pictures of the parents in the background, but the parents never actually show up in the book. Interesting. So there's some there's some rhyme and reason to this. That's right. So it just goes to show the things that you learn by reading. And if you just watch the Max and Ruby TV show and your kid's like, where are the mom and dad? You don't have a good answer. But if you read the original <laughs> books and read the biography of the author, well, now you know. <laughs> reading is power. There you go. In this category of book, I'm going to stump for a Canadian book. There's a book called Little Owl Lost. You might have, I'm sure you've seen it. No, actually, this one's new to me. It's it's called Little Owl Lost. It's about a little owl that can't find its mummy in the forest. Okay. And so then these other animals come and be like, we're going to help you find your mummy for you. And they direct them to a bunch of other animals that clearly are not owls. And then they find the owl's mom at the end. I remember reading this book with both my kids but especially my daughter at around age one any book where a child is reunited with their mother in the latter part of the book becomes a big hit like that kids love that (laughs) yeah you know what uh that's so insightful and so true we have a we have a book here at home called mommy where are you Uh, Mm. the author is leonid gore and it's 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 almost exactly what you're describing except for it's about a mouse right a mouse wakes up Mommy, where are you? And at the end, mommy shows up. And my kids love that. <laughs> I mean, there should be, if we, if we ever write our own children's book, it should be something about dad, where are you? Like, I don't think that gets enough attention. <laughs> yeah, the title of the book is Dad, Where Are You? And the first page is At Work. <laughs> I guess we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Dr. Zeus. So I actually have, I actually have an interesting aside about Dr. Zeus because... We were talking about Dr. Zeus. I was talking about Dr. Zeus with cousin Elaine, who has written frequent mailbag questions to our podcast. And she told me she doesn't like her kids reading Dr. Zeus. I was like, why not? And she's like, well, because Dr. Zeus uses a lot of words that aren't real words, right? Like a lot of Dr. Zeus books have words like razzmatazz or like, you know, there's just a lot of this funky, like, like English going on in those books. The Lorax, the, gr- the Grunchel. Yeah. The, the stuff like that. Right. So I guess her idea is that if you're reading those kind of words, you're not promoting true literacy, right? Those aren't real words. But my thing is actually I find one of the things, one of the tricks you can do when you're reading to children is to read books like this because they find books with these strange words, strange accents. Like if you can do a few voices, right? Yeah. Even though like, you know, most dads like me, like our talent for doing voices and stuff is mediocre at best, <laughs> but that makes the reading experience much more engaging and much more, they get much more into it, right? And I find Dr. Yeah. Zeus, because his books are quite lyrical. They're almost like little rap songs in a way, yeah. right? That kids can really get into that. Yeah. Cousin Elaine is a, is a bit onto something. And I'll tell you my sort of take on it. 
I think there's an upside to Dr. Zeus's like made up words when you're trying to get your kids to learn the concepts of phonics. So mm-hmm. like they'll see these words and if you when you're actually at the point where they're starting to learn how to read, you start getting them to sound out the words. And it's quite helpful right. actually for them to be like, I've never encountered this before, but this must say right. gruzzle, you know. Uh, so there is something useful in that. But I do find that some Dr. Zeus books more than others uh, are full of nonsensical words. Right. <laughs> and sometimes the kids are a little bit less engaged if you're reading to them and like none of it really means anything or makes any sense. <laughs> um, so not my point about Dr. Zeus was going to be that not every Dr. Zeus book is created equal. Right. So especially when it comes to just kids learning how to read, uh, Green Eggs and Ham is a great book because uh, <laughs> it's full of words that are in the sort of list of words that kids would generally know at mm-hmm. that age. Um, and there's a lot of repetition. So it's a it's a book that seems long, but my kids can actually read right. it themselves and they feel proud about that. Whereas The Cat in the Hat, which is a super iconic Dr. Zeus book, is actually really, really long. Um, and feels like a chore and uh, my kids get kind of bored trying to read that book in one sitting and when I'm reading it to them and I'm like saying oh, okay one story one quick story what do you want to read tonight when they say cat in the hat it's like oh my gosh <laughs> you don't want to want to hear that story you're just trying to drag out bedtime <laughs> we're going to be here for another half an hour and that's where you come in with good night gorilla <laughs> so Dr. Zeus, I think, is the go-to book of choice if you were a child growing up in our era. But I think the modern-day equivalent of Dr. Zeus has to be this Elephant and Piggy series. Like, I'm sure your kids have read that. To me, like, I am a huge Elephant and... Forget about my children. I am a huge (laughs) Elephant and Piggy fan. Like, I love this series of books. And initially, I did not. Like, when I think my friend Matt gave my daughter her first Elephant and Piggy book. It was like, can I play too? It was the story about the two of them are throwing a ball and the snake also wants to throw the ball. And we, yeah. I looked at it, I'm like, oh, this looks, this looks, I don't know. Like what's wrong with children's books? There's almost no, the artwork is so simple and yeah. you know, they're almost like line drawings and there's only one line per page. So initially I was, yeah. I, I wasn't buying this and then we read it and I was like, this is actually ingenious. Like this, this series is brilliant. We've, we've probably read almost all of them, at least with my older one. And even the younger guy, he's read some of them with us. And it's just so entertaining. I do like those books. Uh, I don't know if I'm as into them as you are. It sounds like at your house, the kids are like, can we go to bed now? And you're like, one more, just one more. Come on. <laughs> yeah. uh, how about books for when your sort of kids are at the stage where now they've kind of got the fundamentals of being able to read but you're trying to get them to want to read on their own so that they, because, you know, with more practice, they read better and better. What are some of the books that, uh, I guess, more for your daughter that, that have gotten her to, to take off and start reading on her own? Well, this is a tricky category because now you're, this is like the early readers, grade one, grade two-ish age. And I feel like they're right close to the cusps of being able to read some really interesting books. Like I can think back to my childhood and the books that I liked as a kid mostly started in like the grade three or four category. You know, when you can start to read Encyclopedia Brown or you can start to put together the Hardy Boys books on your own. But before that, there's this period where they can read some stuff, but it's not that complicated. And I actually have a lot of frustration trying to find the right books for my daughter at this age. So like she's actually been reading like the Wimpy Kid books. Oh, Diver Wimpy Kid. Yeah, these these cartoon books. And she likes those. 
but they're not exactly for her age either. Like a lot of the humor is like way above her. Yeah. And like she was really into reading Curious George. Okay. And Curious George is also one of these iconic characters that we probably should talk about for like one minute. My thing with Curious George is I didn't I don't enjoy reading Curious George books. Like they're they like you said, some books are excessively long. Like Curious George the true Curious George books tend to be really, really long. Like you cannot get through this in under five minutes. Well these books came out when there was no color television. <laughs> but I just find Curious George the story to have so many elements in it that I don't agree with uh-huh. that it's hard for me to like promote it on like a what is it? Like an ethical level. First of all They've take this monkey out of its natural habitat and put it, turn him into a house pet, right? First of all, that's just not cool, like in 2020, right? Secondly, George, who I suppose is the hero of this series, is a bit of an anti-hero. He's always up to these up to no good things, right? Like, I don't want my children reading about eating paste, right? Like, that's not <laughs> helpful to, to us. But your kids can relate to that because <laughs> these are the things that they do. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose. And then there's the whole like colonialistic aspect of like the man in the yellow hat. Like he sort of appears from time to time. He doesn't really seem like a parent. He seems more like, well, he's literally like a safari guy. Like he's, he went to Africa in his safari outfit and brought back an animal. Like, I don't know. This is just not for me. The imperialist in the yellow hat. (laughs) But having said all that, he, the children do find the series entertaining. Like, that's the weird thing. Kids love books where, or shows for that matter, where where characters that are analogs for kids or are just kids uh, get into mischief. Um, right. But then don't get severe punishment at the end. <laughs> so, well, George does get a, quite a bit of punishment from time to time. I don't, I don't remember seeing George ever get spanked. No, not spanked. But when he eats the paste, I think he ends up in the hospital or something. Or he eats a puzzle piece and he ends up having to have an operation. That's not a punishment. That's just actual like n- medically necessary steps to resolve the consequence of a, of a ridiculous action. I'm pretty sure that you're as you as a pediatrician are very familiar with the concept of if you don't behave, we're going to take you to the doctor for a needle. Like that is a punishment for most children. One that I actually strongly ad- advocate against. Please don't tell your kids that like a needle is something bad that they're going to get as a consequence because one day they actually do need a needle and it doesn't help me when the for the last four years people have been scaring them about needles <laughs> right so uh were there any other books that didn't go over well at your house in the name of chinese new year i found a library book called china it was oh. called like the people's republic of china <laughs> right it was for like little kids so i brought it home and you're supposed to sit there and read and there's a map of the country and it these are the customs of what chinese people practice <laughs> chinese people celebrate the new year and they dress it <laughs> it was it was abysmal <laughs> I mean, it seems like if there's one thing your kids probably aren't underexposed to, it's Chinese <laughs> culture. <laughs> so a book on it telling them more about that, that would a lot that would be very similar to like your typical white Canadian bring home a book called White Canadian <laughs> and just get their kids to read about their everyday life. Uh, how about uh, Captain Underpants? Oh, I we've recently t- read a bit of this series. And that yeah. that's pretty entertaining, actually. I actually did not know what Cupturn Underpants was, except that I had seen like the the commercial for this movie, yeah. right? And then it appeared in her Scholastic Book Club, so we so we got her one of these. She's like, "Oh, I read this already in school. My teacher read this to us already." 
Yeah, I, I remember seeing that book in the bookstore before I even had kids and thinking to myself, uh, come on, a superhero parody? That concept as old as Captain Caveman <laughs> and putting him in his underwear? Like, yeah, anybody could think of that. <laughs> but yeah, the stories are just so appealing to kids. They're actually quite creative stories. I, I, I take back every right. negative thought I had about Captain Underpants because it's quite hilarious and original. They're, they're, they're readable as dads, too. Like, I think most dads would get a kick out of it, especially if you've ever read comic books or been into superhero heroes at some point in your life yeah even if you're not into superheroes if you've ever been into like fart jokes <laughs> booger jokes toilet humor so essentially every child uh those books are great my my dad came over when my son was young and uh saying like okay well get granddad to read you a a, a, a bedtime story so my son brings down captain underpants and my dad's reading that with him and then later my dad's saying like oh if they had had these books when I was a kid, <laughs> I might have gone to university. <laughs> Amazing. And he was already sitting up late at night reading. Who knows what would have happened if he'd read Captain Underpants. That's right. Other books, sort of series for kids who read or starting to try to get them into reading that aren't necessarily about boogers and snot. There's the Whatever After series for girls. Well, I mean, anyone could read it, but my girls are the ones who gravitate toward it. Mm. Whatever After by Sarah... Blinowski, I think. Okay, I've never heard of that. Um, there are books about a girl who will talk about how she's seen the Disney version of something like The Little Mermaid. Okay. And then I believe it's a magic mirror or something that then sucks her into the actual stories as they're originally written. Right. Um, and then she usually like learns some kind of life lesson through helping hmm. The Little Mermaid or whoever else she meets with her problem. Interesting, interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean... We could go on and on about all the books that are available for kids once they start reading. and You just want to get them hooked and get them to keep reading. You know, the Lemony Snicket series of unfortunate events, the hmm. uh, Raw Dahl books and his uh, spiritual successor. Uh, I think his name is David Williams. Great. So I will write these down and check it out at the library this afternoon. Nice. Oh, and we have to mention the Harry Potter books. Right. I read them while we were in medical school, actually. <laughs> I do feel like that series is a little bit too much for little children. Like the, the, the level of darkness in that series is a little bit much. The one thing I'll, I've noticed about those books uh, is that kids do start reading them, start reading them potentially starting grade sort of two, three, uh, and then finishing the series by the time they're in grade three, four. And there is a certain like badge of honor for kids who've read the entire series. <laughs> it's like they're part of some elite club where you hear one kid who's read the book saying to the other, oh, have you read the Harry Potter books? I've read all the Harry <laughs> Potter books. And it's this like huge pride for them. This badge of honor thing never really ends when it comes to reading. Like how many books have I did I grind through in university half awake, even though I really didn't know what was going on, just to say that I had read it. <laughs> yeah, how many 20-somethings uh, think they're superior to their peers because they read Atlas Shrugged and now <laughs> think they have like complete justification for being jerks? Yes, that is a, that is a perfect example of that. that, that <laughs> when you get to later in life, and I think our children will realize this someday if they become avid readers, that you can find out a lot about a person when you ask them what they read. <laughs> Right. If you if you're out on a date and you ask someone what kind of books are you really into, and they say Ayn Rand, that tells you something. (laughs) There was a a, a, something I read once that was talking about a survey they had done uh, about women who go to a a man's apartment and see the magazines he has in his bathroom. Right. And which magazines um, sort of impress women the most if they see in your bathroom 
like that you read Sports Illustrated, will they be less impressed or more impressed than if they see <laughs> you have like, you know, uh, I don't know, Popular Mechanic or something like that. So uh, what's the winner for that? Uh, no, I don't want to misquote it because it's been so long since I've read that thing. But I believe <laughs> Time Magazine. Time. Yeah. Time Magazine was the one that was like the most consistently highest rated as like Interesting. we'll be impressed. Yeah. So I think after people who read that probably started scattering Time Life around their bathroom in the hopes <laughs> that it would impress women, even though they haven't read them. <laughs> the Canadian Medical Association Journal did not uh, make the list. <laughs> But uh, my thought, actually, after I read that was if women are impressed by seeing that you have reading material in your bathroom, then they might be even more impressed if they saw that on the toilet you write books. So rather than leave <laughs> Time magazine in my bathroom, I thought maybe I should just buy a typewriter uh, and, and, and stacks of paper. Just leave that in the toilet. No, no person would be impressed by someone writing books, especially if you're trying to you're looking for a prospective mate that's going to provide a house and a shelter for you in the future <laughs> that's right reading is one thing woman comes over really wait this guy's a writer <laughs> yeah, that's right it'd be great if we talked a bit about strategies for when you're actually having a kid who is not uh, taking to reading easily well that's basically what's happened with my son like so he at this point he's he's three and a half and he can sit through certain things, but his attention span for books is completely different than his sister. Well, I can, I can tell you a bit about what I did for one of my girls when she was in grade one or so, when I realized that her reading was really behind where it should be. So this is good. Why don't you give me some techniques of what I can employ on my son to dig him out of this rut? <laughs> so, uh, you know, the school already gives tips about how to help them, like, read better, things like, uh, getting them to look at the picture to match the word, getting them to skip over words they don't know, read the rest of the sentence, and right. then go back to the word. But all those things are only helpful when your kid already has some of these basics. So mm -hmm. what I did, uh, there's this thing called dolch words. Uh, and so dolch words are like a list of words that um, something like 75% of the books that a kid would in read at, uh, when they're at the dolch word list for their like level will right. will be on that list. Right. And although reading uh, a lot of it is of course phonics and getting them to understand how to sound out words and you got to practice doing that with your kids. Right. Uh, uh some of these words are also just sight words where right. you see it and you know it. That's right. You know the word the um if your kid has to sound it out every time they see it then they're way behind the eight ball. Like you got to get them to see the word the and just know that's the. I printed out this list of dolch words. I glued it to a piece of construction paper. I cut out each individual word and made a stack of words. Um, and then uh, separate to that, I made like a grid uh, for check marks. Um, uh, and at the end, I think there's something like 20 or 30 check marks. And then I said to my daughter, like, okay, we're going to work on your reading. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, every time you read to me any one of your little, like, little kids' books, and it could be like the simplest book, you're going to get a check mark. And when you get this whole page full of check marks at the end, you're going to get a present. You know, what present do you want? She's like, I want some real makeup. All right, done. When we get to this, you get real makeup. But you have to actually read the whole book to me. Uh, the second thing we're doing is I got this list of words, and we're going to learn every word on this list. But we're going to do them just like uh, two words a day to start with. Right. Uh, and then when I when you've mastered two words, then we're moving to the next right. word. And I just made this like a daily part of our routine. She became super motivated to get those check marks. 
so like right on the day that I introduced this and she realizes I'm getting a present like of whatever I want. <laughs> uh, she already like was like keen to get like two check marks in the first day. Uh, now, I'll warn parents that that enthusiasm for the check marks does start to wane um, because it's not one of these things where I cave and I'm like, OK, you read two books. Here's your present. It really is. You got to fill the whole grid. Right. And so like she goes through fits and spurts of being like really enthusiastic for the check marks, then forgets about it for a while. <laughs> then you're like, come on, let's read a book and get a check mark. No, I don't want to. But then like, uh, like uh, give it a few days, reintroduce that list, and then she's motivated again. So we're working through the check marks. But uh, aside from that, uh, keep on top of that like two words a day thing. <laughs> and you're going to have some days where you're busy and you miss a few days. Right. But if you target two words a day, like my daughter, like very quick, like in a month was like blasting through this, like, uh, like this list of words where now I can pretty much do it as flashcards and she quickly gets mm. them. And my wife's reading with her the other day and is like saying like, you know, I almost was moved to tears by how well she was reading this book that I gave her where I'm showing her things <laughs> and I'm realizing it's not just that she memorized the story I told her, she's reading the words. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, that didn't happen by accident. <laughs> that was like clamping down. Impressive. I mean, the take-home message of that, and I've seen this in our household too, is that sometimes you do need to give the kids a little bit of a reward for putting in the work. Like that is that sometimes feels like a bribe, but at other times it's like speaking the language of your child. Like what are the things that motivates them, right? <laughs> so very useful advice there. Just so that parents could really understand that we understand what they're going through. Uh, it's really hard at, at a certain point when you're trying to get them to read mm -hmm. and you're sitting there with that book. You know, the idea is that they're reading the book to you, but you're of course helping them. And like, you spend five minutes helping them to just decode a word, you know, like, okay, sound it out. Okay, well, that that sound doesn't make any sense. So try the other sound that A can make. And, uh, you know, the long A, the short A, or, you know, try A. Try, and then your kid decodes it. And then you get to the next page, and it's just an exact repetition <laughs> of what you just read. And they're not, they're struggling with it again. And, like, you know, the, the word you're trying to do is, like, hat. And they're like, ha. Uh, hot, hot, and then they look at the picture and they're like frisbee. And you're like, no, obviously it's not frisbee. Just because there's a picture of frisbee, no, this is what's and you're and you're like you're just dying inside. Right? But that is that is all part of learning how to teach your children, which is actually a podcast topic into itself. Like it's not an easy thing to do, right? Like yeah. a lot of times you hear from parents and they'll outsource the teaching, right? If your kid's not reading, okay, let's send them to a tutorial class after school, right? Yeah. Because it is quote, un impossible for a parent to teach their own children, right? I get this all the time, right? My kids only learn from strangers. Well, they're scared of strangers, so they're more likely to sit still That's right. temporarily, right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I feel like it's a learned skill for the parent to be able to learn to teach their children. And it takes a long time to figure it out. But when you do get there, it is quite rewarding. Yeah. My last little bit about that whole frustration with the reading is that uh, it's super frustrating, but if you just keep at it and just keep at it and don't give up on your kid, uh, when it clicks, you will see like sort of suddenly it's really coming together and it goes right, and then it really takes off. Well, ho hopefully we get there with my son. I mean, to close recently, I was like, it's three, he's three and a half. We're two and a half years behind. He hasn't read the hockey sweater yet. So I made him sit down and I dragged the hockey sweater into bed with him and i'm like we're gonna read this he's like no no cozy up cozy up. i'm like no we're reading this he's like no book no book 
right? So then I start grinding through this book and it's long. He's sort of paying attention. And, and this is one of the things like sometimes your child will not be listening closely when you're reading to them. Just keep pushing through it because they are listening a little bit, right? And then I got to the part where the kid broke the stick and it happened again. He was like, huh? <laughs> he broke the <laughs> stick, right? Why? Why is he doing that? And then he got into it. Like he's still not really where he should be with the hockey sweater, but I have a feeling we're going to get there. <laughs> Uh, and then you're going to read them the uh, seminal works of Chinese literature that your dad read to you. <laughs> no, we are not reading those no. books. <laughs> Art of War, that's not a bedtime story for kids. <laughs> Maybe when he gets to university. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think that's our show for this week. Dave, you want to sign us out with your usual goodbye catchphrase? On that note, we will see you all in a week's time. Until then, good luck, happy reading. Keep reading and keep telling everybody to listen to podcasts. That's even more important than reading is listen to this podcast. <laughs> Have a good week.